This is episode 102 for Tuesday, July 25th, 2017, brought to you from Arlington, Texas. This week, we'll begin part one of our Basics of Beer series, Malt. Welcome to Brew Styles. My name is Travis, and together with Chris, Eddie, and Sawyer, we take on the world of beer one style at a time. Each week, we discuss a different style of beer and taste some of our favorites. We hope you leave with a thirst for more. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Look us up and subscribe to make sure you are kept up to date on our latest episodes. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at brew underscore styles. Drop by our website, brewstyles.com, where you can stream every episode, check out our photo gallery, and use the contact tab to send us comments and feedback. You can also find more information about the BJCP and how to become a certified beer judge. Settle in and raise a pint with us as we launch into another episode of Brew Styles. Malt liquor? Malt. That's right. Welcome back. To Bruce style malt liquor, like where we malt. will be talking about half of that malt, but not so much liquor. We have some liquor here on the table. As always, I am your host, <laughs> Travis, back with another soothing episode of Bruce style. Yeah, <laughs> you almost didn't even get the words out. What? <laughs> it almost sounded like he was mumbling at the end. <laughs> and I'm joined by a few chums. To my right, the ever happy Sawyer. What up? What has gotten into you today, Travis? Uh, I did a lot of research for this episode. <laughs> He's a little uh, so snarky. I need to make sure that my, my energy level stays high for the entire time. Uh-oh. <laughs> hey, guys. How's everyone doing? Hey. All right. Oh, Good to see you. Here back on Bruce Styles. Okay. So you can All expect right. that. Oh. Sorry, Eddie. I talked oh. over you. You can expect that for the whole episode. Oh gosh! Um, but yes, sorry, is here. Yes, I am here, and I'm doing well. Okay, have you done anything beer related in the past week? Uh, no, <laughs> not well. No, I take that back. Ah. so I went to TBA. Uh, That's and right. I took a keg of beer with me. Okay, and drank it there. Was it something you brewed, or was it a? It was something that I brewed. Brew, huh? I brewed. Yeah. Uh, it was my Symphony Number no. Thirteen English. Is it spelled that way? English? Yes. Okay. Yes. I dig it. Yeah. So, yeah, I was trying to kill the keg, and uh, it was unsuccessful, because uh, I only drank off of it for one night, and I was on the river walk and stuff like that for the, the next few nights. So, yeah. Have we had I like that one? Beer. Have you shared it? I like no. <laughs> I like your beer. I like this beer. I will bottle a couple and bring it next time. Right, yeah. I, I was in a rush to get out of the house. I was yeah. booking boat rentals and stuff like that before i left so mm. anyways but at least you have a keg of beer that you brought back with you too right yeah i've got about a, a little less than a quarter of the keg left whoa so, i mean i didn't take a full keg i took like a little bit more than a quarter of the keg okay so, <laughs> so you took a whole keg down there to pull like two or three beers off of it yeah 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 that's i did sounds like i saving it, money y'all saving that's what money. a growler is for yeah, but I didn't know how much I was going to drink, so I just took the whole thing. So I had to take my CO2 tank. 
So is all the yeast all shook up in there now? A little. But I, it's been sitting now, so it should be okay. Mm. Hopefully, at least. I'm going to put it back into the uh, kegerator tonight. It's been sitting out since you got back? Possibly. Ooh. <laughs> So it's almost gone. I really don't care. It tastes like raisins. Hot English. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did travel down there in a hot truck, cooled it back down, and then it traveled back up here in a hot truck. So, mm. yeah. And we're joined by Chris. Hey, hey, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm Chris. <laughs> yep, that's me. You uh, you started back to work recently, right? Uh, Yeah, last week. Oh, it's a bummer. Yeah, that's all right. Yep. I was getting kind of tired of sitting around the house doing nothing. Yeah, that's okay. But you and also I had that for like a week. Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself. You also had lots of homebrew to drink here at the house. And you yeah. got some new things on tap. Tell me about that. Uh, I got a, a London Pride clone on tap right now that a few of us are drinking. I think it turned out pretty well. Um, I haven't done a side-by-side with the Fuller's, so I can't say anything about how close it is. But it tastes pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I did a, a Saison Rebrew. My recipe that I have, except I tried the Bell Saison yeast, and I put a couple of grams of black pepper in there because I wanted more of the black pepper to come out. Nice. Um, I was moderately successful in that. <laughs> it comes out a lot more as it warms up, but um, like you said the other night when you tried it. Yeah. And then Sunday, I brewed a new recipe for an Oktoberfest Martzen. Yummy. So that is currently fermenting away. At a nice, cool 52 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm, I like it. So I'm, hopefully that'll be ready for Oktoberfest time. I need the I need a poo chamber. <laughs> when did you start? What? Why? Huh? Poo chamber. Yeah, the fermentation chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mine yeah. used to be in the bathroom. Fermenting. Yeah. So yeah. Anytime I got to go poo, I go to the fermentation chamber. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, anyway. I, I need to get one. And that's the voice of Fratto. Sell. Six warning throws. He's already very happy to be uh, here. <laughs> okay. Tell me. <laughs> tell me more. I don't, I don't know where to go after that. What, what, what was Eddie yelling about? And then I was apparently thought it was very funny. Uh, um, I feel like that was when you looked at your phone and saw a picture of a bird <laughs> doing something. Oh, oh yeah. You start laughing. <laughs> uh, nobody else knows why because you're the only one can see your phone. Eddie's still okay. talking. Let's see that. Sell. <laughs> 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 Six warning throws. Six warning throws. Yeah, it's probably not why I was laughing. Yeah, I remember that picture. Let's not, uh, let's not go I'm back thinking there. about it right now. Oh. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to go back to the craigslist thing too no okay, okay. Uh, no no yeah i think that's on one of our outtakes episodes i don't know which one so if you care that much you can check it out for yourself <laughs> only located on our website brewstyles.com where all your greatest dreams come true and you can look at a uh, like disney either i think no. it's probably outtakes episode two maybe probably or one i don't remember which one i, I know the craigslist thing is on it's on two <laughs> So. No, we haven't recorded that one yet. Oh, we haven't? No. Oh, well, to That's be continued. Be, it's going to be on three or four or whatever. We're to on. be continued. But anyways, uh, we got a great episode lined up for you today. Word. Before we get into that, we need to say... <laughs> Thanks to our <laughs> listeners. 
because without you, then we'd just be talking to ourselves, and <laughs> that's what we do anyway. So you make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. So thank you for listening, and also if you like it, go and hit that subscribe button. We uh, definitely would appreciate that. You can keep it coming every week to your digital device or whatever you listen to us on. So there's that. Check us out on social media. We are on iTunes and Twitter and Facebook and Untapped and Stitcher. Uh, not on Instagram because we don't ever post anything on Instagram. Well, our Instagram person doesn't. He's not here usually yeah. anymore. Yeah, we do still have a, a position open for an unpaid intern if you want to be our social media yeah. liaison. So there is that. You'd have all the access. With none of the pay. All right, well. well none well. of us get paid, so. Yeah. We just drink beer. Yeah. it's fantastic. That we do. And all of us are drinking Chris's homebrew at the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll move on to other things later well, on. Frodo's glass is empty. I have a mug of beer. Well, I finished it. <laughs> Actually, we were all drinking the the Pride clone, except for Travis. He's doing the Saison. The Saison. The Black Sun Saison. How did you whistle on the N? Saison. I didn't. Oh, you did. No. Sans. Sans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Duchesse de Bourgogne. All right, well, what are we talking about, about today, Travis? Well, this uh, be the Travis show. Yes, I like I said, I, I did a little bit of research and uh, came with a lot of neat information about this episode. Uh, as we had mentioned previously, since we're up to two years of doing this uh, podcast project and we're now on episode 102, we're starting to run out of beer styles. So the initial reason that we started this uh, to focus on beer styles, well, we're kind of running out of new ones to do, we'll start repeating them. Uh, obviously, but we also wanted to look for different things, uh, kind of branch out a little bit on our topic matter. Still related to beer, mainly home brewing because we uh, all home brew and stuff. But uh, we thought, you know, let's go back to the basics. We did episode three was beer one hundred one. Did that two years ago, and we haven't really revisited that topic. And we thought we should. So uh, the next several episodes are going to be a part of a unit, or as uh, my preacher would say, a series. Um, so you can come back every Sunday to listen more about uh, love of Jesus. Jeez. I don't know which grain that is. Can you use paradise seeds in this beer? But uh, today we're going to talk about malt. Everything that I have prepared is all malt-centric, malt-based. I like malt. The uh, <laughs> next several episodes, we'll spend an episode talking about hops. We'll spend one talking about yeast. Uh, we'll do an episode on water. That should be interesting. And uh, we'll probably do an adjunct episode, too, because those are... There's too many things to talk about in one episode, uh, which is what we did originally on episode three. We're just like, okay, let's talk about everything. Uh, how beer is made, off flavors, uh, what it's packaged in, the different styles. And we just tried to cram as much as we could into that one. Uh, so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about each one of the main four with maybe a fifth one added on for uh, good measure. Unless we decide to stick with the Reinheitsgebot. Yeah. Yes, and then we talk about the four things that are allowed in beer. And that would do four. So uh, if you are a fan of that, then don't listen to uh, the fifth episode in our series. Because <laughs> you will uh, see us as heretics. But um, before we get into talking about the actual malt and tasting the beers, I did want to go through briefly, not a whole lot, about the malting process itself. 
So as you know, malt is another word for barley grains. And uh, the process itself can be broken down into three simple steps, steeping, germination, and kilning. Healthy barley must be grown first. Uh, obviously, it needs to be free from insect damage and broken husks. And then that barley is transported from the farm to the malt house, where it is then cleaned and separated according to size. They call that grading. Uh, and then after that, you've got the steeping process first, which uh, similar to how we steep grains in our brewing process, the grains are also wetted for their steeping process as well. That's awkward. Steeping <laughs> steeping further cleans the malt and increases the moisture level up to about 50%. This causes the barley to swell up in size. Moist. Dang it. <laughs> Obviously, you need clean water, and clean water must be used, and the temperature is uh, very closely guarded during this time. Actually, throughout the whole process, I found out that temperature is quite important to okay. the, uh, the health and also what type of... Um, malt you end up with at the end of the process. Is it a pretty wide range of temperatures? Not as wide as I expected. Okay. So during the steeping process, it's like room temperature, but they want to keep it very much the same to uh, control the moisture content. And obviously the warmer it gets, the more moisture is Mm -hmm. evaporated, and then you're dealing with different percentages. So even from the beginning, they're very uh, very closely watch the temperature level of that. Okay. Typical steeping schedule will last about 40 hours and involve changing the water several times, cleaning it because you get dirt and husk material and little branches that kind of float to the top, so they'll drain it, refill it with clean clean water several times. And uh, one thing I found interesting, they also have to add oxygen to support the enzymatic respiration. Uh, the whole point of this is you're causing the embryo inside the grain seed to activate and it's a living creature just like an egg, and so you, you need oxygen to really kind of wake it up. Mm-hmm. So they're adding oxygen to the water. Uh, also kept at, a interesting, or a, at a very specific level. Okay. So there's that. Uh, the barley must be activated and fully hydrated to prep for the next step, which is germination is the second step. Water's drained, grains move to dedicated germination areas, traditionally a three to six inch layer on the floor. And there's a lot of uh, maltsters that still do this. They'll have just a big open room and then malt all over the floor. And uh, <laughs> traditionally, it was it was turned by using a rake, and you'd have a, a little man, the maltster. You'd, <laughs> you'd walk around there and kind of rake it, just like the, the Japanese Zen garden. I'll rake the sand. But uh, Now, I have seen, is it floor, floor malted Bohemian Pilsner or something malt? Yes. How is that? Is that the floor malting you're talking about? I would assume so. So what is not non-floor malted? They can have them in big vats as well. And then just like uh, at the big breweries, whenever they have inside their their mash kettle, mash tun, they have kind of a rake inside that turns the malt. Uh, They do the same thing at at maltsters. Hmm. uh, But yeah, there are still ones that do the traditional floor malting. Three to six inch layers on the floor. Grain bed is turned regularly. Temperature is controlled. And the reason they do this is uh, for water and air management. Those things are crucial. Moisture-saturated air is blown across the kernels to prevent dehydration. Airflow also controls temperature. So this is when it starts to dry out, but they they don't want it to be completely dehydrated. So there is still a little moisture in the air. Uh, After a while, sprouts begin to emerge as a visible size of germination. So if you were to basically just let it go, then it turns into a plant and then a barley stalk and... 
and goes from there. But uh, this step is necessary to create enzymatic activity crucial to the dextrose conversion that occurs during the mash. Ugh. So what does that mean? Well, whenever we do the mash, you have all the grain, and you toss in some water, and then you let it sit there uh, at 150 degrees or so and let it sit for about an hour. Um, and a lot of home brewers don't really understand why. It's just like, okay, well, this is the first step that I do. I know i got to do it, so I do it. Well, uh, the reason is you need time for the, the enzymes that are on the husk of the barley and inside the barley that uh, have been created and activated through the germination stage. And then those are what actually convert the natural sugars into a more fermentable type of sugar that the yeast can later consume for their enjoyment later. So that's, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, in a barley husk, that's why you need to mash Alpha amylase. Okay. I have a very captive audience. <laughs> so, there's that. Next, uh, after they start to germinate, then they move on to the kilning stage. That's where the germinated malt is dried. To stop germination, rootlets wither during the stage due to the removal of moisture. <laughs> yeah, science. Rootlets. <laughs> and Frado's giggling. Wither. <laughs> I don't even know why that's funny. I'm sorry. That's the uh, opening emo band for DMS is Rootlets Wither. DMS! For DMS. We're Rootlets Wither! <laughs> is there a homebrew metal scene? <laughs> no, but there should be. Yeah. Okay. With tuba. DMS. <laughs> Next up, DMS. <laughs> Time, temperature, and moisture level cause different malt effects, and this is where we're going to see... Uh, the different brands and strains of malt uh, that we're talking about later on. During the kilning, some enzymes are destroyed, which limits the diastatic power of the malt. So if you have a uh, very dark, roasty malt, then uh-huh. it's been under the temperature, under the heat for longer, and most, if not all, the enzymes have been destroyed. Uh, that's why you always need a base grain to help convert it because those have a lot of active enzymes on them. So it's like it's burnt. Yeah. Okay. So you, you wouldn't be able to have a all-roasted barley beer. Right. Because it you, know, you would have flavor. You'd have color from the mired, the mired process. Mm-hmm. But, but when, you wouldn't have any enzymes. So there would be no conversion. you just have a really sweet, unfermentable, or highly unfermentable wort. Uh, very dark and roasty and just undrinkable. So that's why you need your base grain for those enzymes, and that's what causes the conversion to happen in the mash. So, lots of interesting things that I never knew about whenever starting the homebrewing process way back in the day. Well, we learned some of that when we took that ill-fated chemistry of brewing class that we made it about halfway through. Mm -hmm. What? Y'all took a class? Yeah. It was like online through a college or something. Yeah, and it said, like, uh, strong knowledge of bio and... Uh, bio, biochemistry and something else and like oh whatever we already brew beer we know what we're doing oh my god <laughs> we were mapping out exactly how the acid not the acids the uh, enzymes were being broken down and which enzyme it was would break the sugars down and how they would break it down and then have to draw the diagram of the it was even Ashley struggled with some of the chemistry. And then we took it to Ashley's work, and they struggled with it. <laughs> yeah, science. Yeah. 
And we're like, oh, okay, strong, did, strong background in biochem. That's what they meant. Yeah. Did Flug try that class with you guys? No. I mean, come on, he brewed you know, black pearl. Him, him <laughs> <laughs> well, him being you know the science teacher and the you know oh, math well, is, maybe true. he'd have been able to figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't think about that. Uh, you talked. You asked about temperature ranges earlier. Yeah. During the killing process, the temperatures only range uh, from one seventy Fahrenheit all the way up to two thirty. So it's only a range of about sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's not much. Um, obviously, time plays a a part in that too. So, if you want a highly roasted malt, then you're going to have it at a high temperature for longer, and uh, lower roast or very little roast, you're going to have at a lower temperature for shorter. Mm-hmm. But, so essentially, uh, everything starts out as the same, like pale two row. Yes. Yeah, you get your base barley, and it's the it's the kilning process is where they create the different types, uh, which we'll go into more in depth later on in this episode. But uh, yeah, they they all start off as the same, and then the kilning is where they really get into the nitty gritty for the different uh, different types they have. They're all created equal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but that's why it gets confusing sometimes when you go into like a uh, a brewing app or a brewing program of some sort, and they've got like German two row and American two row, and then and I'm used to seeing that, but then sometimes I would see like. Like English crystal malt, and I'm like, well, okay, but now that makes sense. Yeah, the reason I've been so excited about this these episodes coming up is because I want to start, you know, building my own recipes, and I know nothing about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, I, I buy kits and I brew with them. I'd like to know more. So, yeah. So we're that's the whole point of these episodes. We're gonna try and break it down for you know those of you that know absolutely nothing about home brewing. Um, and those of you that know quite a bit of it, maybe you'll get a little bit of the uh, scientific stuff will will pique your interest. But um, yeah, there, there's not a if you go to a, a a malt farm, a barley farm, there's not a caramel forty uh, plot of land and then a roasted barley plot of land, and it's just it's all the same. And then they bring it together, and then it's during the kilning process where they separate into the different types. Also, I've seen people that you know they will roast their own grain. They'll just buy the two row, and if they want, you know, crystal forty, then they'll go mm-hmm. roast their crystal forty, and then they'll brew with it. Yeah. So that's a whole mm-hmm. other aspect of brewing is if you, you know, people roast their own coffee grounds or not grounds, but their own coffee beans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get the green. I never knew that coffee beans are green until I, you know, read into a little bit. But you get your green beans, and then you roast it yourself right before you make the coffee, and it's supposed to be uber fresh. <laughs> Uber. Um, <clears throat> Typically, I don't make coffee with green beans, though. Yeah, uh, I usually use. It's real vegetal. Yeah. <laughs> you mean like a old speckled and hen? Boom goes the um, yeah, it's a lot like old speckled <laughs> hen. <laughs> green beans and was it hamburgers. hamburgers? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to try an experiment where you, you know, roast your own grain. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I wonder if any, I'm sure somebody's done it, but done like a completely homegrown, homemade, organic brew where you, you know, grow your own grain, roast it yourself, grow your own hops. Was it Rogue that tried to do that for a little while and they maybe still are? They like had their own grain farm and their own hop farm and they tried to. <clears throat> yeah, it was like it a Rogue? BYO series or something. Or yeah. GYO, grow your own. 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they had a line that they did that. Might be kind of tough to do on the homebrew scale, though. That's it is. a lot of little plot of land in the back and, of the yard. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially for the malting side of things and kilning, it's very time intensive and there's a lot of steps. Uh, from what I've read, it's easier just to buy it from the professionals than it is to do it yourself because you do have that the temperature control has to be exact uh, as well as the moisture level in the air. So you can't just toss it in the oven and hope for the best. You got to know, you know, how much water you're spraying on it and mm-hmm. the moisture content of the air in there. And so there's, there's some measurements that uh, aren't the easiest to do on the homebrew level. I'm not going to say it's impossible because there's tons of guys that, you know, go APES for this and they'd love to do all this uh, type of scientific stuff. You know, we got guys in our homebrew club that have microscopes and they do yeast counts and all this crazy stuff that's beyond me. But, um, you know, it's uh, that possibility is out there for you if you want to do that, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So I know Fredo tried to grow his own hops for a little while. Yeah. How'd that go? Did you ever get any cones? Yeah, but not enough to do anything with. Um, the Fuggles didn't make it. I did Fuggles and Chinook. Oh, and, Giggles. Uh, yeah, the Giggles didn't make it. Uh, Chinook lived about three years, but that was also when we were hitting that really nasty drought. Mm. And... Uh, there were some cones, and they smelled good. You could tell when you were in the yard when they were coming out, but not enough to, I mean, what are you going to do with, like, eight cones? Mm-hmm. Well, from what I've heard people talk about and, and read online is when you grow your own hops, it's really hard to get an alpha acid reading on it because, you know, without all the, the the tools to do that, it's all guesswork. So what a lot of people do and what um, a lot of people that I've, talk to suggests if you do your grow your own hops buy pellets to do your bittering with so that you can control that and then just use your homegrown hops for late additions or dry hopping that way you get all the flavor and stuff without having to really worry about what your lupulin level is inside that hop cone yeah and you're not wasting a ton of your precious time that you spent cultivating your your few hops you have outside yeah. for bittering mm-hmm so, but that's a conversation for next week. Yep. We uh, have four empty glasses, so we're going to get onto the tasting portion today, which uh, will be a little different from normal, but it still has beer. So let's get to it. Cool. All right. Well, our uh, tasting portion is going to be a little different. We're not only tasting beer, but we're also tasting malt examples as well. And uh, thankfully enough, all of our malt samples today were donated graciously, graciously English is hard. by Texas Brewing Inc., a local local homebrew shop in uh, Haltom City. And you can find them online at txbrewing.com. Texas Brewing Inc., where homebrew matters. I don't know if that's a slogan, but I tried. The more you know. But, uh, but at least we know it does matter there. Yes, big thanks to Stubby and the guys at uh, yeah. Texas Brewing Inc. Yeah, they're pretty cool. They donated all these for our episode, and uh, we definitely want to give them a shout-out for that. So thank you so much. We're going to start off with a very basic, straightforward malt. It happens to be a base malt. And uh, it's American two-row, and this is something that you can find in a ton of different styles. As a base malt, that's what you're going to start with. 
Um, and these are ones that are lightly kilned. They have lots of enzymatic uh, activity, lots of diastatic power, and this is what you need in order to convert the sugars on uh, the more roasted ones into the mash. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about each style of malt. We'll talk about where it comes from, what company, and then we'll feature a beer that should have that malt in it. It's not going to be a single malt beer, so there'll be other things in there, but uh, if they follow traditional um, style guidelines, then it should have it in there. And a lot of the beers we're featuring today are standards. Okay. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I bought a book actually very recently. I was going to say, it looks like a new book there, Travis. Yes, and this book is called Malt. <laughs> I like malt. A practical guide from field to brew house from John Mallet. I'm just going to sniff this the rest get of the time. From Brewers publications. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and pass that around. We got a bag of two row. Pass it a bag. And uh, you can get you a little handful of it. So this is going to be... you need some alone time with that bag there, Sawyer? I, I do. Yes. A very stock example of a pale malt. So pale malt is a generic term covering a broad class of light-colored base malts. For North American maltsters, this malt is produced with adjunct brewing needs in mind. High enzymatic potential and FAN, I don't know what that means, FAN, makes this malt particularly well-suited for rapid carbohydrate conversion and proper yeast nutrient. The very high enzyme potential of pale malts can make fermentability control difficult in all malt beers, as mash conversion can be almost instantaneous. For maltsters in other areas of the world, pale malt has moderate modification and enzyme potential. The term lager malt may also be used to describe these malts. In comparison to Pilsner, pale exhibits a deep malt flavor. This is two rower passing around, and everyone's taking a little bit. So tell me your thoughts on smell, flavor, or anything. I, if we could turn this into like a car aroma. Oh, I didn't smell the bag. I would totally buy it. It tastes like mash. <laughs> You've eaten your mash? I have. No, I get you're saying, like, when you're smelling the mash, the mashing stage of your process, this tastes exactly what you smell. Mm-hmm. Have anybody ever had grape nuts? Uh-huh. Like the I breakfast? love them. That's what this tastes like to me. It's like a bowl of grape nuts. No, you know, this reminds me of... Not um, the grape nut flakes. No, the just grape nuts. the grape nuts. Yes, the ones that crunch just like this. Yes. Whenever you have communion at church, it tastes like those little <laughs> crackers to me. The Jesus wafer? Yeah, the Jesus wafer. <laughs> <laughs> the Jesus wafer at mine just like disintegrated in your mouth and tasted like nothing. Yeah. So a little crackery, a little bready. This is way stronger than that. I could eat this all day. It's like a an unsalted saltine. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like these. I could eat that whole bag. Has a little bit of sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Especially once you crack it open. Yeah. It does get stuck in your teeth, though. Yeah, whatever. Beer will get it out. Yeah. And this strain uh, of two-row actually comes from a company called RAR Malting. Who's that? Not to be confused with the brewery. Yeah, they're actually related. RAR Malting was founded in 1847 by William RAR, uh, which is of the current RAR and Sons family line. It's still family-owned today with plants in Minnesota as well as Alberta, Canada. Um, And if you have listened to our podcast any length of time, you have heard that we featured... Raw beers before, and uh, interestingly enough, whenever they first opened, they didn't use Raw Malt. They used a different company, and then I always thought that was strange. Anytime I go to a tour at Raw a long time ago, I'd see bags of other company, and like, why yeah. don't they use Raw Malt in their beer? Never made sense. I don't, 
I don't think I ever found out why. Does Royal Malting only do the Pale 2 row? I think they have a few strains. Because um, they also own the BSG Brewer Supply Guild or something else that has a lot of other uh, mm. products as well. So it's a pretty big company. I don't think they do just one strain. But um, I think Raw uses them now. We see their bags in a yeah. ton of breweries around here. Yeah, very popular, uh, made all across the world. And uh, so with that, I didn't bring a RAR beer to feature. I thought we featured them quite a bit. But uh, I did find another beer that is in the area and probably uses two-row in the as the base. So I'll get well, that up. Probably most beers use two-row as a base. And uh, the typical Lava Bond and what that word means it's the scale that they that brewers use to measure how light or how dark a malt is and what color it gives to the beer so a typical lava bond level for a two row malt is going to be anywhere from 1.7 to 2 so very low it doesn't give a whole lot of color it's just there for the enzymatic potential but uh, we're going to start with a beer that should have lots of two row in it and this comes from a company uh, one that's new to our podcast Bells Brewing out of Comstock, Michigan. And this is their Two-Hearted Ale. So welcome to the podcast, Bells. What up? It's their American IPA. Uh, Let's see. In the back it says, brewed with 100% Centennial Hops. Bells American IPA is named after the majestic Two-Hearted River in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Bursting with hop aromas ranging from pine to grapefruit to perfectly balanced with a malt backbone, this beer is well-suited for adventurers everywhere. 7% 7% ABV. I don't know where I got this, but I thought these guys were in California. Oh, no. No. Yeah. Up north Michigan. Well, I really liked the glass that I got at, at uh, World of Beer when they were there. <laughs> For the bells. Mm-hmm. That thing dings really well. Two row can be used as a base for pretty much any any American beer, um, whether it's a, a Coors Light clone or if it's a... A stout you can still start with that as a base so it's pretty safe to choose an ipa as an example for this because there's probably two row malt in it and since it's american it's probably an american variety you have to kind of get past the hops to taste the malt though yeah yeah i had to put some two row in mine to see if i could taste it okay <laughs> very clear uh it's like a light light orange to amber color White bubbly head. Very floral. Yeah, nice hoppy aroma. Hops coming through quite a bit. Fruit rind. <laughs> okay. Don't look at me like I'm... Okay. <laughs> fruit rind. Fruit rind. This has been the fruit rind aroma. I put a lot of two-row in mine. Oh, I put like three. <laughs> oh, I put that little pile that was right here in there. Because, well, yeah, I can't taste anything except for, like, a two, lot of... Two-row. I was going to say citrus and... Oh. and see if you, could, if you could crack them and then put them in here. Well, we got a beer bottle. <laughs> They're not paradise seeds. Oh, man. <laughs> Hops come through quite a bit in the flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably one of the best examples to showcase the malt, but the malt is in there, so... Maybe like a blonde. Rar blonde, even. It'd be a lot of just a... You know, base two row. No, I get the two row. I do. It's just, it's just kind of there, you know. 
that's not like anything ridiculous. Because it's just like a light, sweet, doughy flavor, and there's so much mm-hmm. yeah. like lots, lots of Jesus wafers. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what you're supposed to be pulling from this uh, variety of malt, anyway. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's in, yeah. since that's all you're trying to find past like 700 pounds of grapefruit. <laughs> then, you know, which, but that's the point of the style, like simple grain yeah. build, just enough sweetness to, to counter the bitterness. Yep, I just swallowed more two-row. Mm. I can't get over how much eating the malt separately by itself tastes like what you smell in the mash. That's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's tremendous. Mm. When y'all first started brewing, you didn't get a little curious and spoon a little bit of mash out. and Not the hot mash. Mm-mm. Oh, I did. It's like 150 degrees. I ate the foop. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have eaten foop. I yeah. didn't eat the foop. I, I don't like meringue, and I could only imagine it's in that category. Yeah, That's what she said. Tastes like bread. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. Because, you know, people will bake with the foop. Or the the leftover grains from your mash. Chrissy has actually made like dog treats and horse treats with with my left or spent grain. Mm. Yeah, we just ran out of the dog treats that Ashley made out of the coffee beer that yeah, I the, made in the darker malts are better. November are better for that. <laughs> yeah, you made before your wedding. Yeah, because yeah. huh. I mean, if if you've ever thought about a dog treat i've never tried one but i know people that have and they say they're very bland that's what he says they sure. are <laughs> have you tried a dog treat Fredo? so <laughs> so so when we were kids my my we bought my dog this colorful thing of multi-flavored dog treats and we wondered what they tasted like and so you ate one and so, i have floaties <laughs> no we thought we did my mom made me and my brother like close our eyes and before we so we wouldn't know which flavor we got well it's because she was giving us like actual candy or some sort of oh. actual person food and we're like oh man those are really good so the next day i went and i got one out of the box and i ate it because it had been so good the day before no it's just very bland and crumbly and it won't go away because I've, like I've eaten row. I've eaten some of the spent grain before, and there's not a whole lot going on there because you've used all the yeah. flavor, you've sucked everything out of it. Yeah, all the sugar all the, goes. All the sugars the are gone. All the you know everything. It's just bland grain, and so they're perfect for dog treats because they're used to that bland yeah. flavor. And she'll usually like mix up some peanut butter or something in there just to give it a little something and help the grain stick together. But a little you something, can, something. You can definitely, and I I tried one. It, it was pretty good. I mean, it's, um, that's exactly what we did, too, because the first th- time we ever tried to make anything out of the grain, it just kind of... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it just kind of fell apart yeah. when you put it in the oven and you pulled it out and it was just like crunch. It just, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, there's a lot of uses that you can do for spent grain. Danny used to make pizza crust out of his. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I like pizza. Yeah, that is one of the... Uh, it's one of the one of the challenges that every brewery faces whenever they open up is they can make all this beer and get all these great ingredients and then your left your leftovers mainly just a ton of spent grains you got to figure out something to do with it. Um, I know a lot of places will contact a local farmer, have him come pick it up, yeah, just to get it give it away. Yeah, um, so that they're. I've tried to compost with it. Mm-hmm. With mixed results, it takes a second. Yeah, yeah it does. It's, it takes a lot longer than normal composting things that you would compost with. Yeah, 
that's the arrangement that I have with my across the street neighbor. Um, he's got a garden in his backyard, and he found out that I was homebrewing, and he would see me just put out the bag of spent grain on the curb for the trash to pick up. And so he came over one day and asked. Um, he called it my byproduct because he, he didn't know what to call it. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, I'd love to take it and use it, uh, put it on my plants. Can I have your byproduct? <laughs> Awkward. And so I said, yeah. And so now every time I brew, I just kind of walk the grains, the bags over there and leave it on his doorstep. Um, and a few months ago, he brought over some uh, pickled jalapenos that he mm. that he grew using my malt. Oh. Uh, and they're very, very good. Put on some hamburgers. It's killer. So that's uh, that's another thing you can do with your grain is composting. But uh, to finish up on our feature beer, Bell's Two-Hearted, which is actually a very, very oh, tasty yeah. beer. I like this one a lot. I'm quite pleased with this. The brew date was 6:20, so this was not purchased at Total Wine. Fresh. Yeah. It was really good. Total Wine strikes again. But not in this case. Yes, very hoppy, uh, grapefruit, very fruity that comes through. Grape a nuts. little bit of warmth in the end, but... With a 7% beer, you'd expect that, uh, as well as the increased hot bitterness. So that all comes through, but very flavorful, very tasty. I'm glad we're able to feature this on our podcast to start off our malt episode, which this beer is all about hops. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's next? Uh, The last one, two row, was a base malt, and the next one, I think actually the next two are base malts as well. I have three total. But uh, they're all very different from each other, even though they're all classified as a base malt. The next one we're going to move on to is a Pilsner malt, which typically the uh, Lava Bond color range is 1.2 to 2, so still very light. Pilsner malt is a base malt designed for a very pale all-malt beer. Traditional Pilsner malt production includes the use of low-protein two-row malts, lower modification during germination, and low-temperature high airflow kilning. This malt should be very pale in color with moderate enzymatic potential. Uh, Pilsner malt has a distinctive flavor, a little green with a smell of uh, smell and taste of fresh wort, which are particularly evident in European Pilsner-style beers like Bitburger or Wursteiner. So this is one that is traditionally a, uh, a European style. Dimethyl sulfide, DMS, which has a cooked corn or cabbage <laughs> flavor, is present in all malt. Uh, ooh, this gets all scientific. The precursors S, methylmethanine, SMM, and dimethyl sulfoxide, wow, DMSO, are created during malting but removed at higher kiln temperatures. Because Pilsner malt is kilned at low temperature, it retains its flavor potential and is considered acceptable at low levels in some beer styles like the German Pilsner. So, if you are brewing with a Pilsner malt, specifically one from Germany, and it's kilned in this style, you typically would go uh, would boil for 90 minutes as opposed to 60 to kind of cook off this DMS uh, that's naturally occurring, but it's naturally occurring at higher levels in this particular strain. Next up, DMS, followed by Rootlet Wither. <laughs> it smells the same. So I'm passing around a Pilsner malt. Mm, and this comes from a company called Avangard. Avangard Premium Pilsen. The history starts in 2006 when the assets of a bankrupt company, Weisheimer Malts, were bought by Mr. Kilril Minovalov. Kilbil? The owner Commodary. of Avangard. 
and three malt houses in Russia. They now have four plants located in Germany. So it's been around for a long time, but the company itself now has only been around since 06. But Avangard makes a lot of different malts, uh, continental malts from Germany. This is really bland. Yeah. Yeah, the the flavor is similar, but not as prominent. But it's also like powdery feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, it's it's dry. I mean, I know it's... Like, it's there, but it's not. I know it's dry grain, but it's like drier mm-hmm. than the two-row. I like it. I like it more than the two-row. I disagree, which is really nice for me because I'm lazy and I don't like 90-minute boils, so this confirms that I don't need your Pilsner malt. This one's a little, <laughs> like, biscuity, crackery, whereas the last one was more doughy. I've never made a Pils. So this one's I would agree more Jesus assessment. wafer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got Jesus written all over it. Yeah, it's like, it's sticky. Like, it's sticking to the roof of my mouth. What? I'm the, just having a hard time didn't. coming up with words to really say about it. Oh, no. And with this malt, we're going to feature <laughs> a lovely beer in a green bottle that we've never featured, surprisingly <sighs> enough. Carlsberg. I've never had it. You couldn't find another Pilsner. <laughs> I looked oh, for a can. Okay, so... By God, I looked for a can. I couldn't find one. So, there was somebody a long time ago when we were... Just getting access to that and trying to figure out how to get the elephant. That was insisting that this is a great beer. We're just not pouring it correctly. And you have to like turn that thing upside down. No, turn your mug upside down on the beer. Turn the whole thing over and slowly upend the whole thing, but while going in a circle around the mug. And that, is that, like that this? right there is going to make this beer taste incredible is that like those things that it you know the ballpark with the plastic cup with a magnet on the bottom where it fills it from the bottom up you know what i'm talking about yes no i saw that at the uh, perot science night and i wanted to experiment with what it was so badly because i didn't know it was a magnet yet mm-hmm. and, but i knew if i pushed the thing out all the beer would spill all over me so <laughs> but yeah Apparently, if you I'm pretty just turn sure. that bad boy upside down, it's not a skunky Euro pills anymore. It's the defining beer of a generation. Yep. So I really wanted to find a can to cut out the light struck element, but uh, more than likely it will be since it's a green bottle. But we'll just deal and try to look past that. So this is Carlsberg. Do it. And no, this is Arlington. This beer we are drinking next is Carlsberg. <laughs> Oh no! This is a mistake. Five <laughs> <laughs> percent. Oh no! He did. He upended it. Whenever you pull it up, it's going to glow. You have to. You have to make circles. It's glug. That's, it's that's glug. a there clear. That was a clear instruction. You got to. Oh. Rot- <laughs> you did not get a twelve ounce glass, did you? <laughs> no. You got to rotate the boot, otherwise it. That's right. Get the eye of the to, Jew. I'm have to pour you from the. The glass, because there's no way that I'm going to be able to... Understood. I'm under here for uh, for moral support. I can smell the skunk. It did not change it. Oh. Look okay. how much foam is left in the bottle, though. So, now, by definition, Sample and I have a better beer than you do. That's okay. Mine's in an Oktoberfest mug. <laughs> okay, so yours might be better. I have a large mug. Carlsberg is widely distributed, so if you're listening to us, you can probably find it. Oh. 
It's stuck in my teeth. Got to make sure I check into this. Brilliantly clear. Oh, I didn't take a picture. <sighs> smells like a skunk. Brilliantly clear. Light straw color. Sorry, you've had this. White head. Golden. And you gave it a 4.25. Whoa! I've had this. You must have upturned your glass on that. I must have been really drunk. Not as skunky. Uh, you toasted it. Oh, yeah, I did, because why on earth was he drinking Carlsberg? It was at the Rover Grill. Where's that at? Yeah, it is really skunky. It's not as bad as when we first opened it, though, so this yeah. one's going away pretty quickly. Mine's dissipated quite a bit. Now I'm getting to the actual meat of the beer, which should be the Pilsner Malt. Yeah, this one's like a, a biscuity, but yeah, still, still doughy. I wouldn't say bready, but um, along the lines of crackers. In the aroma, anyway. You know, once the skunk finally, once you can get past it, which is still difficult. You know, something else about the Pilsner malt. It is pretty. I think it's crunchier. Like the shell is harder. I could buy that. I wonder if that has anything to do with the length of time that they kill it. Slightly less sweet than the two row. Yeah. I do get a lot of the, the crackery, bready notes in the beer, though, once you get past the skunk. I just burped and it tastes like skunk. Mm, I don't know. I can't bring myself to like this beer. Even with eating the, the Pilsner malt and then drinking it. still kinda... Well, in the taste, I get malt. <laughs> I malt. Thanks for that, Sawyer. You're welcome. Sorry, I was checking into all the beers that we've had so far. All two of them? Yep. See, but th- this is pretty straightforward. I think it's exactly what it's supposed to be as far as the style. Um, you do get the malt and the flavor. It's there. It kind of reminds me of Hackershore. <laughs> Which they, that was so cool that they retweeted us. Yeah. <laughs> and like wrote about it. It's like, here's yeah. a pretty interesting podcast. Did we even have one of their beers on that one? What episode was yeah. it? Oh. it? Yeah. If I had tagged them, then it was because we featured one of the things. Because oh, okay. mm. I talk about them a lot. This tastes a lot like Hackershore. Oh my god, this smells like Hackershore. <laughs> Sometimes I don't think he knows what that smells like anymore. I know. When was the last time you had a Hackershore? Uh, six? No, four or five months ago? Yeah. 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 But I remember it because it's my most favoritest beer next to Coors Light of all time. Next to Coors Light. Do you get any DMS? Can you taste it over the skunk? <laughs> I guess that's, that was my real question, I guess. Well, either I've gotten used to the taste of skunk in these beers, or I just look past it, because it really doesn't bother me anymore. I know it's going to be there, especially in a green bottle, so it, I'm not really too offended by it like I used to be. I don't know. Yeah, like if you get a Heineken or a Corona or, you know, whatever, yeah, but you're expecting it to I, be skunk. Yeah, I guess that's the difference. So, so I don't ever drink Carlsberg, and I, I think I drink more Heineken, not Heineken, uh, Corona than I would realize. So it is just what a Corona is. I'm yeah. still trying to figure out why I gave this 4.25. Were you, like, really drunk? I must have been. I mean... You're probably thinking, oh my God, it tastes like Hackers. <laughs> probably. This <laughs> beer's from Germany? That's my most favorite. <laughs> yep. But, you know, there it is, a German Pilsner. Not, not, not a lot sort to of. say. Cool. 
Oh crap! Poundability. Man. Oh man. We we change one thing about our podcast and then everything goes to hell. Well, for the bells, I would say a ten. <laughs> I, I was gonna say eight, just because I'm not a normal IPA drinker. Poundability and that one five. For the bells, what it was hoppy, yeah. Very I was hoppy. gonna say like six or seven, just I still thought it was smooth home. though. I'm gonna have to come down on the Carlsberg though because I swept more grain into it, so it's gonna be harder to chug. <laughs> Not choke, yeah. I rinsed all my grain out. Uh, the, the Carlsberg, I would say. <laughs> I would say I give this a 10. What? For poundability? For poundability. I remember I had to chug something that I had to chew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poundability in this, 9. I'm pretty high. It like tastes bad, but I mean, seven. It's, it's easy. Seven. The freaking smunked is nope. hell. Smunked. Smunked is hell. Yeah, it is smunked. Some, yeah. Something <laughs> that smells bad. Yeah. There used to be a band around here called Schmunks for You. We got quite the lineup. You know, Schmunks for You is opening, and then uh, Rootlet Wither. <laughs> Next up, uh, DMS. Yeah, DMS is headlining. So there you go. Cool. Well, we're gonna move on to our uh, our next base malt. Our first base style was North American based, and then the one we just featured was German. We're gonna finish with another base. Malt from uh, Britain. This is a pale ale malt, which is slightly darker than the other ones, 2.7 to 3.8 in general. It's called a pale ale malt. Pale ale malt is a base malt produced specifically for use in English-style pale ales. These are well to highly modified, tend to be darker than standard pale malts, and are optimized for use in single-temperature infusion mashes. They have an evident but not excessively pronounced malty flavor, with notes of biscuit or toast. The higher kilning temperatures used to produce these malts result in low DMS potential. Uh, maritime growing conditions of the UK produce barley that is particularly well suited to making pale ale malts. The plump grains respond well to the full modification schedule and germination, and the result in malt that responds well to single temperature and fusion mashing. These malts produce a flavor background that gives structure and allows for the successful production of low-gravity but full-flavored ales that typify English cask ale, like Timothy Taylor's Landlord Bitter. Ooh, have not that ever heard that one. Say that ten times fast. No, I'm not even going to try. So we're going to feature our pale ale malt, which is from an a English company called Muntins. This is Muntins Marish Otter. Muntins Marish. Munton's Malting, the Baker Munton family, had been trading in malt and grain in London since the 19th century, and shortly after the end of the First World War in 1921, Muntonia Ltd. was established to meet the demand for malt extract from both the brewing and food industries. They currently have two locations throughout England. I have a question. This is their Maris Otter. Does Master Betty work there? No. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So there's one thing I always wondered that you didn't seem to cover there. Why is it called Maris Otter? That I do not know. Okay. Um, I found out that the websites of some of these companies vary wildly from very informative to a bunch of pictures with 
English translations from Google Translate. So, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, some of them are not very informative. I mean, Turo is and Pilsner are pretty straightforward, and Marisader is absolutely not at all. Because mm. Turo is Turo, because that's how many rows of little flowery, leafy stuff is up on top, and Pilsner is used in Pilsners. There's also four row, but you don't ever hear nothing about that. <laughs> this one's a pretty stark difference in flavor. Oh, yeah. It's very, others. very bready. Mm-hmm. This one's nice. Mm. Very tasty. Yeah. Light toast. Although, oh, toast the flavor breakfast. does not last. Mm-mm. That's true. Kind of tastes like wheat thins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't linger. But it's just kind of like the nice, full, fluffy... Flavor. Mm. There you go, doing hand motions again when nobody can see him. That's right. <laughs> he was bouncing his mugs. We do have to say, Travis, your shirt is rather fitting for today. Mm-hmm. He is wearing a black shirt. I'm wearing my shirt, but no pants. Are you wearing pants too? This is Malt Man. Okay. She's got huge Malty <laughs> mugs with a a big Western style mustache on it. Is there a dash in between Malty and Man? There yes. is. Multi man. I'm gonna try to tailor my shirt next several. On your shirt. You've got green on your shirt. (laughs) We'll save it for later. Also it says craft beer hound. Whatever that is. We're gonna come close to home for our next example. It was a good non sequitur. This is from Community out of Dallas, Texas. This is their public ale. A uh, ESB. And it is fantastic. It won the twenty fourteen gold at uh, GABF, yep. English style, extra special bitter, 5.5%, OG 14 degree Play-Doh, 38 IBU, and ah, there's a paragraph on the other side, public ale, inspired by the warm and joyful spirit of British public houses or pubs, this beer was created to share with your mates. Brewed with Heirloom's English Maris Otter Malt. A blend of international hops and distinct English yeast strain, this ale is a study of balance and subtle complexities. The intricate malt character is balanced by a beautiful blend of herbal, spicy, and fruity hops, all in perfect harmony with the gentle fruitiness contributed by our yeast during fermentation. An easy drink to comfort any occasion. Welcome to our favorite year-round session beer, Public Ale. You know, we also could have had my London Pride clone because I use Marisol as a base. Just FYI. We could also have the uh, amber that's fermenting right next to my leaky back door, as I just realized it's also used uh, Marisotter as a base. Yeah, I think the one I got's a pretty good example, too. (laughs) Just going to throw that out there. I don't know. Community makes so many good beers, they're bound to mess one up. It's probably not this one. Actually, I haven't had this in a long time. I'm anxious to try it again. I've never had it. I don't remember the last time I'd had it. Probably a rodeo goat. I feel like the last time I had this was at a homebrew club meeting when uh, the brewmaster at Community, Jamie Fulton, came out and chatted about water chemistry with us. And he brought just a pallet of these. And uh, (laughs) I'll I'll admit this is not my go-to beer for Community. Um, but trying it that night, I forgot just how good it is. So, oh, yeah, right off the bat, it smells amazing. Very clear, uh, orange copper color, foamy white head. 
Yeah, last time I had this was at a 809 Vickery. There you go. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah, you're right. You haven't. <laughs> Rich, multi sweet aroma. It's sweeter than I would have expected for a special bitter. Yeah, the floral notes from hops come through quite a bit in the aroma as well. I wonder what other. Um, mm. It's kind of. I get a lot of toffee also. <clears throat> I can see that. Maybe that's the sweetness I'm picking up. I wonder what other grains they use in this because it's not just Maris Otter. I mean, I get some Brady notes, but then there's just that sweet toffee something. I don't know. That's Yeah, you know, at one point he told us the recipe and I wrote it down in my notes. But I just looked through it and I don't have it anymore. Would it have been as useful as the... Uh, would you have the winter warmer recipe? Or I had an oatmeal stout. <laughs> the oatmeal yeah. stout. The snowmageddon. The snowmageddon, there you go. Yeah, I remember it was very sparse in my writing, but... With like a six pounds of like panda or something weird. Like yeah, because that. you were trying to get Siri to write it for you while you were drunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> six pounds of panda. Yeah. Well, and you were getting it from James, who was also drunk. <laughs> so there was there's a little bit of a disconnect there, I think. Lalonde. All right, here's the oatmeal stout recipe. Oh my god. Because that's his beer, Snowmageddon. Almost out. Oh, that's his beer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. But I do remember this one was the vast majority. The majority was a Maris Otter, but I feel like there was maybe another something in there too. Was this one that he had? Yeah, there's got to be. At Covey? Yeah. Mm, I don't think so. I think this one was cultivated specifically for um, the owners. Because I remember Jamie telling a story about. Whenever he was hired on to be the head time or the full time brewmaster, that the owners loved ESB and they wanted a good ESB recipe, and so he had to spend a lot of time making test batches and redoing it because the water chemistry in Dallas is much different from Fort Worth. Uh, so that took some time, and then just getting the percentage of, of of malts and things right. So I think this one was specifically for community. It wasn't a, a previous covey. Well, and at that time, recipe. I don't think we had a very good, if any, good example of just like a nice sitting English beer. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, eating the the malt but right before I drink the beer, I think it's kind of throwing me a little bit taste-wise. Because there's like a dry, almost soapy finish on it that kind the malt of. doesn't really... Yeah, it's it's interesting. Seeing the... The beer's a little soapy. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the tail end. But again, that's like when y'all are like, oh man, it tastes like my gym socks from last month. This is the best beer I've ever had. Like, I, I, I mean, sour. <laughs> you don't mind the soap. Man. I mean, no, I don't mind it at all. <laughs> oh, horse blanket. <laughs> so good. I don't know. There's still something a little off to me about it. I, no, I agree. Well, it's, it's kind of strange though because most of the the ESBs or other bitters that I've had mm-hmm. have that same kind of sweet tinge to it that's always kind of making me go, eh. Well, you know, to me, it's almost a hoppy nature. The could sweetness. be. Like, floral, like, floral hops oftentimes could be. Like yeah. more hoppy than usual for this style. Yeah, the, the Some of the English hops present in a more, in a way more floral way. It is kind of dirty. Yeah. In a good way. 
Mm-hmm. Just like your mother likes it. <laughs> when I was talking to my dad about Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of dirty. It's good. Giggity. I still like it. Yeah. It's all right. I looked up the last time I had this, I had it at the brewery. And this it was a- after the uh, state fair where me and Ashley went to go have more funnel cake beer and we drank all of the funnel cake oh, beer man i didn't get to have that one so we had to resort to this as well was that one good yeah it was great oh man especially without the um powdered sugar rimming funnel oh, cake in one hand corn dog in the other yes. yeah, yeah that was her <laughs> <laughs> oh man i miss bubba i don't we should bring him back <laughs> bubba's dead my palatability rating. <laughs> Master bedroom. I don't know. I don't have any grain in it yet. Like so. four. <laughs> four? Yeah. Four? There's something odd like about it. Six. Seven. I, I, uh, there's something odd about it that keeps me from wanting to pound it. Use your words, Sawyer. We talked about this. A-E-I-O-U. Use your words. All right. How's, how's your chewability on that one, Fredo? It's almost as high as a Carlsberg. <laughs> but not as much because I ate a lot of that grain uh, before we ever poured the beer. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> unlike the Pilsner, that was just tasty on its own. All right, so if you had to label these three base malts from least amount of flavor to most amount, it'd be pretty obvious, right? You would think. Are we all in agreement? Pilsner, two row, and then Maris Otter. Yeah, that's how I do it. We went least to most, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So if you think about the beers that you brew with it, it makes sense. What you taste in the grains, what you're going to taste in your beer. Yeah. So if you want more of that bready note, then you're going to use a Maris Otter. If you want something nice and clean with, you know, minimal, uh, for lack of a better word, intrusion on your beer, then you go with the Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Because by far the most flavorful beer we had right there was the two-hearted, but it was also all hop. And yeah. the reason for that was because they chose a grain that was going to chill out, so it could showcase be the hops. All yeah. hop, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then you get the Pilsner. That's just a real basic, you know, easy drinking, light-bodied, light flavor beer. I could drink that Pilsner all day, or day. It's just like Bud Miller Coors, the classic American Pilsner. Yeah. Even though it's not really. I like my curves. I can drink this all day. Yeah, if you remember, I, I talked about with the two row and six row, also uh, another American base malt. Those are made specifically for brewing with adjuncts like uh, rice and corn, ones that don't have any enzymatic activity and need all that activity from the malt in order to convert that. Uh, so when you got Miller Light, Bud Light, Coors Light, those are brewed with up to 40% adjuncts. <laughs> As well, and so you're going to get uh, that really cutting down on the malt flavor, also. So that's where you get just a real crisp, clean, low flavor, low aroma, low anything uh, in the, that kind of style of lager. I think if I remember the history right, that's also what was most prominent when we just got here. Anyway, was six row was more prominent anyway, and since there was so much corn. And so much six row and the six row did a better job of fermenting it out. That was fine. And I think that's also primarily what they use for whiskey before they go. And that needs to go a lot further. Well, I remember along the same lines thinking when I first started doing all grains that 
you know, when you're brewing a wheat, you use six rows of base, not two row. Right, and the whiskey has like corn and wheat in it, yeah. and so the six row really helps to convert all that. Yeah. yeah, six row has more diastatic power than two row, but it also has kind of more of an intense flavor as well. Cuts through a little bit more. But apparently that's all extra old information because now we've gotten to the point where we can grow two row that's just as awesome as the six row was, so... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you get into regular grain and highly modified grain and... And, <laughs> and all of a sudden the science For is malted varieties yeah. and unmalted oh. and torrified malted. Ooh. Torrified wheat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as we move on to our next one, we want to give another thank you to uh, our benefactor for today's malt episode. That'll be uh, Texas Brewing Inc. Thank you to the fine folks at Texas benefactor? Brewing Inc. Yes. They benefacted all the malts <laughs> for this episode. Your patron. Texas Brewing Inc. You can find them at txbrewing.com. We're going to move on to uh, one that's kind of bridges the gap between base malt and uh, some kiln malts. This one could be used as either, and we call it Vienna malt. Color range is from 2.5 to 4.0 SRM, so darker than the other ones, but still Worm. fairly light. This is, uh, it says, Vienna malt imparts a rich orange color to beer. The flavor of traditional Martzen beer comes from the liberal use of this malt. Vienna malt has sufficient enzymatic power to convert up to 100% of the grist, so you could use this as a base malt. You could also use it uh, as a mixture to add color and flavor. As well, in contrast to most crystal malts, use of Vienna results in the beer with a refreshing dry finish. Flavor is slightly toasty, slightly nutty, and pairs very well with spicy noble hops. Although Vienna malt has significant flavor complexity, it is not cloying or overbearing when mashed sufficiently. Vienna malts make beer that can be drunk readily in one liter glasses and leave the drinker ready for more, thus explaining the appeal and longevity of the Munich festivals. So, Sawyer, this is one that would be used in Hackershore, for example. Yay! So apparently I did it wrong, because I just looked at my Martzen recipe that I brewed this weekend. Did you use Munich? Pilsner, Munich, and Kara Munich 2. Is a Munich darker? Yeah, Munich's 9, Swarm. <laughs> I had to think about what that meant. <laughs> and actually, the Kara Munich's like 48 to... 55 swarm. swarm or something. Whoa. Yeah, and our uh, our Vienna comes from a new company I'd never heard of before until now. Uh, it's called Irex. I-R-E-K-S. And I think it's an I, but it may be a J. I really like I this one. reading about it. It was a little different. Uh, Irex Maltz is a... Uh, it was a brewer and malt master baker from Kulmbach. I copied this straight from the website. Master baker. It was a... He was a brewer and master Betty. baker from Kohl, Kohlenbach who laid the foundation stone for the Irix company more than 160 years ago. Johann Peter Ruckstischel. We have not only preserved and maintained his pioneering spirit, but have carried this on. Today, the name of the company is still inextricably linked to the founder. Irix, Johann Ruckstischel et Schochen Kohlenbach. So the I is supposed to be a J for Johan, and then R, Rooksdrussel, E, et, uh, K, Kulmbach, and then S, Schon. Three locations in Germany, uh, oh, and Austria as well. So this is a European company. Vienna Malt. Definitely tastes the difference. 
Yeah. Um, I'd say this is more like a bread crust. We're getting a little bit darker, but it's still super bready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sweetness is dropping. It reminds me of Hacker Shore. <laughs> Finally. Bread crust, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like eating popcorn, you know? You get the little pieces stuck in your teeth. It hadn't been that way for... Oh, you mean taste-wise? Hmm? Travis, you please tell me you, mean they're stuck you found a Martzen or a Festival. Well, I was talking about my teeth. Okay, so it hadn't been that way with all of them? Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about popcorn now. Oh. Sorry, sorry, he did not bring Hacker Shore. Yeah. I'm sure no. I've still got some two rows. I found a classic there. Vienna lager. I have a Polliner. One that we have not featured yet on this podcast. Samuel Adams Boston Lager. Is it Vienna? Yeah. Believe it or not, it is. Huh. I just always remember hating it. Well, <laughs> my first keg stand... Oh, well, yeah, that was it. No, that was a terrible okay. idea. I don't it was know at why. your house, Fredo. Yeah, I Wait. know. That's why I'm saying, no, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> I have to ask, because I don't know. For many, many reasons. There used to be carpet in that room. Yeah. That carpet got pulled out after that. Um. <laughs> okay, I have to ask, because I really don't know. What's the point of a keg stand? The to same look like an idiot? Shotgunning, and the same point is... It's the challenge. Okay, so it's not like it's going to get you drunk faster or well, anything like that. I mean, you're ingesting alcohol very quickly. While well, upside down. So it equals heartburn. It's a lot better than butt chugging. Well, <laughs> butt it, chugging? Not oh, that yeah, I've ever tried that. that. What is that? It bypasses you, I can't make a poop joke about this one. So. Yeah, you literally drink beer in your butt. Like you oh, shove, is that a poop joke? <laughs> you shove the <laughs> bottle up your butt, turn upside down, and a beer goes straight into your bloodstream people it died from it yeah because they were taking like vodka shots like oh my god because your, your liver can't filter it and so you get like all the alcohol straight in your bloodstream yeah not doing that well yeah. there you go samuel adams we've uh we're gonna butt chug this we've uh no we're not taking this all butt away. beer <laughs> but beer. quite literally i actually have not had this in a long time because i've been afraid of it because of that keg stand Sorry, I haven't drank wild turkey in a long time. Why not? It cures heart attacks. You gotta watch out or you might touch your butt. Because one time I got so drunk, I was in the bathroom for over an hour and a half. Like, people came looking for me. That's probably me and Rumple Mints. Alright, this one is brilliantly clear, golden color, foamy white head. Eat some grain. Drink some beer. You know, this has been such an industry standby for such a long time now that I find myself saying, like, oh, it looks like. Sorry, I like how you've done, that. you've done that with every beer but the Carlsberg. <laughs> Wait, hand me the bottle. Hand you the bottle. Well, there's still some left in this one. Okay. No, that's a bad idea because I would. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to make sure Carl's. Okay, give it to me here. Why not? <laughs> Take a sip of it first. The unadulterated Boston Lager. Okay, yes, this is uh, from Boston Beer Company. Samuel Adams Boston Lager. This is a flagship beer, 5% alcohol, by volume, 30 IBUs. And this is the uh, this is the original beer that um, Jim Cook made in 1984 in his uh, home apartment. Is that how you say that? Yes. Cook? I've always wondered. Okay. Cookie? That is a big cock. Oh. Yes, Cook. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, 84, I believe, is when he started 
his company same year I was born so I remember that and uh, this you remember was, him starting the company yeah doctor spanked him on the butt and he started crying Handed and him a Boston locker <laughs> Jim was like Travis check this out <laughs> very clear we already did that oh <laughs> And so, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I caught myself thinking this looks like a Sam Adams because it's just been around, sitting for a long time. And so, bring it around town. It's not nearly as bad as I remember. It's just okay. I mean, it's it's a pretty straightforward dark lager. Yeah. Well, I think you, well, first off, the keg stand. And that was a terrible idea to go into a, <laughs> like a, like a, five, what is this? Probably five and a half percent. Five even. Five, yeah, five percent uh, dark lager that was heavier than most things we were doing. Most people keg stand on something that's like a three yeah. percent adjunct lager. And back had- in the day, this is way more hops than anything we yeah. were drinking. I mean, yeah. Shiner, Coors Light. This that is and somebody probably overpumped the keg because I remember it being really foamy and really carbonated. That's and- what you do at a college party with a keg. You yeah. pump yeah. it like six times for every half of a plastic cup. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do I that. Know why you had a keg of Boston lager at a party anyway just like we had a keg of shiner at one of those parties y'all had well that was shiner how many kegs of stuff you'd never had before there were in my house obviously no (laughs) exactly think about the question you asked me you were turned upside down on all of them (laughs) no this was the uh, this this is a really safe beer i don't know anybody that yeah it's not like you know just you know, outside the box you know but, well, now, that, but that's the crazy thing is at the time it was yeah that's oh, what i'm sure. saying like, I believe now that. it's not but then it was like okay it's a big you know dark hoppy mess so like you you compare this to hot fusions beers that's outside the box they're getting there uh, it's a it? collective probably more outside the box no boy yeah you know, strawberry rhubarb saison was kind of yeah, but then but then there's <laughs> the the, the, but then there's Ghostface Killer and that's not from around here. That's outside the box. I, we are a beer podcast, sir. <laughs> we will talk about any beers. <laughs> that's going to be a new drop. Oh, yeah. the problem is going to be finding out what is outside the box right now because, like you said, Lucky Charms beer. That doesn't even seem out of the box to me before. Because Mikey Skittle, bro. Yeah, I had a Skittle beer and a Captain Crunch beer before I had a Lucky Charms beer. So or the Warheads beer. Oh, uh, yeah, like what is out of the box at this point? Hmm. Sadly, it's like out of the box. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> I would think you would choke on the plastic. Yeah. It's like putting oh. the whole bag of Warheads in your mouth. I'll tell you what's outside Forehead. the box. <laughs> you ready for this? An English beer. Hacker Shore. No, not Hacker Shore. <laughs> Crawfish. What? No, because we've seen it done at least yeah, twice. Yeah. Not done well. Actually, I have no idea how that beer turned out. I would be afraid. I just know that a lot of those <laughs> poor crawfish met their death on the parking lot running between the mash and the boil. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't mash them. They just put them in the boil. What's Why the, were they running? What's in this glass right now is like a hoppy Oktoberfest. Yeah. In essence, yeah, yeah, if yeah. You break it down, yeah. It's yeah. Like a hoppy Martin, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what another Vienna lager is, um, is it Modelo, Negro Modelo? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I always thought was a Mexican lager. No, but it's classified as a as a Vienna. See, and that's, that's a, a good beer too. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. 
That's <laughs> Friday's glass. And those are like poor man's gobble gravies. What? Pretty sure gobble gravy is the poor man's gobble gravy. Oh. <laughs> so what's your poundability rating on this one, huh? <laughs> Eleven. Ten. Whatever poundability you get out of a keg stand. <laughs> Negative. Upside down. So make it an eight because it's the same up. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah. Or I can call it a six because I'm up. I'm upside down. It's a nine. Yeah. Or it's a one. Either way you look at it, <laughs> or an L. It's not bad. I I'd probably give it a seven. Yeah, it's their flagship for a reason. Good beer, straightforward. Yeah. Good flavor. How's that? chewiness factor on it. This grain was a lot harder to chew. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty So I wonder if um, the more the the grains are kilned or the longer, the harder and tougher they get to chew. Maybe. Possibly. Well, stay tuned because you're going to find out next. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. We're going to move on to some caramel slash crystal malts uh, for this segment. Is it caramel or caramel? How to spell it? You spell it caramel. You pronounce it caramel. <laughs> Malts in this group are produced by loading green malt, which are steeped and germinated but not kilned into a drum roaster. They are mashed in the husk and subsequently roasted. Um, so there's a ton of different <laughs> caramel slash crystal slash caramel malts out there. Anywhere from like caramel 10 all the way to 120. Uh, and that's uh, the number corresponds to how dark it is, how roasty. So in general, uh, caramel, also known as crystal, malts are made by raising the temperature of green malt to turn starches and proteins into the sugars and amino acids needed for Maillard reactions. Determining the best caramel malt for a given beer often involves balancing color and flavor impacts. To reach a specified color depth, a greater percentage of lighter colored malt is needed when compared to darker malt. This type of malt can be made in a standard kiln or with a drum roaster, and there can be significant flavor difference depending on the method of manufacture. There's a lot more into it, but uh, we'll just go ahead and skip straight to what we have today. And I just got a real standard Caramel 40. This is from a company uh, you may have heard of, Brees. Brees is an, is an American corporation. Uh, Brees malt and ingredients. In 1876, when Ignatius Brees, a grain exchanger, began malting barley grown in the fertile Morovian valleys in his homeland of <laughs> Czechoslovakia. Morovian? Trombone cortex. <laughs> little, did, little did Ignatius know that his handcrafted traditions would cross the Atlantic to a small town in Wisconsin to be handed down to the generations of family members just as obsessed with quality malt as he was. They now have two locations in Wisconsin. Breeze Malt is very, very popular. Um, we have the Caramel 40 today, which means it has uh, 40 Lava Bond, 40L. You'll see that. And um, oh yeah, it's Caramel Crystal Malts, you're going to see in a lot of like amber beers or could be an Oktoberfest and... Just anything that's needs a little bit of color, a little bit of a foam stability. It it kind of smells like graham crackers. This is way more crunchy. I think Santos oh, yeah. theory is correct. Yeah. The joke about grape I'm not nuts sure is getting even closer. Correct. Yeah, this yeah. is this is much more grape nutty than. Now, 
Crystal versus Carmel. U.S. versus uh, right. England. Yeah. I, which is which? I don't remember. Crystal is British. Okay. Caramel's uh, North American. But essentially it's the same. It's just... Yeah. Just they're interchangeable. Yeah. So, a caramel malt is going to be a North American base malt that is roasted to a certain level. And then a crystal malt is going to be a British or continental base malt roasted to that same level. So, you're going to get those differences from the base malt, but you still get the same kind of uh, caramel toasty quality you're getting from whatever you buy. Yeah. I really like crystal malt. Like... Just eating the ones that we've had, it's it's sweeter. It's got more flavor to it. It's 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 got more depth, for lack of a better term. I know that's really vague, but mm. tossing some raisins with this, yeah, it's a cereal. Yeah. yeah, this is grape nuts. You know, we were joking about it earlier, but this is that's, it's getting less and less a uh, joke yeah. as it goes on. Yeah. <laughs> Have y'all ever had grape nuts, the cereal? Mm-hmm. So you go so buy a box of grape nuts. The box is this big, and it'll last you like a month. It's okay. the most delicious gravel you've ever. <laughs> I like eaten oats. You should you should try it. There's okay. no it's oats. Very in healthy it. for you. I will try it. I'm all about. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> What's the deal with grape nuts? You open the box. No grapes. No nuts. What's the deal? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm not a fan of this one. Um, I. Hi. I don't know. It, it's it's not. I, I I like the Jesus wafers. It's sweet. It's kind of. It's almost brown sugary. And see, I I'm thinking the same thing until it has its own little aftertaste to it, and that's mm-hmm. where this grapey raisiny thing comes from. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is making me think about all the grapey raisiny. Oh, the pale ale that I've got that sat outside while I was on vacation. Oh. Um, See, I'm not getting any grape or raisiny. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. I am too. Especially when you start thinking that way. Oh, and that's the best thing I had to describe how that pale ale had gone south when it sat for so long outside while I was on vacation. I start thinking, like, it has a lot of Crystal 30 in it. Or maybe this is an effect of the hops going away and Crystal 30 being... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the beer I brought for that should oh, pair pretty well no. with this. It's a, no, uh, no. an amber ale, but has kind of a little Belgian twist to it um, from New Belgium. This, this is their fat tire. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I didn't get was any Belgian malt, because that's another another whole side of things. I didn't want this episode to be five hours long, so I had to kind of pare it down to just three. Yeah. Had to pair it down to the ones that are, I guess, most readily or ubiquitous. That's a good word. But a fat tire. $10 word for the day. Fat tire is an amber <laughs> ale. On the label, they describe it as a Belgian style ale. Boy, they are new Belgian. But I know it was an amber ale for the longest time. So. I think a lot of these old beers are going to have a hard time because nobody described St. Arnold or uh, St. Adams as a Vienna for a long time either because we didn't really have a concept of a Belgian ale or a Vienna lager when these beers hit the market. So we may be experiencing a number of changes of style, I guess, across old standbys that were just like, hey, this is a little bit more than what you were used to drinking. 
Yeah, Fat Tire is their flagship beer and has been for a long time. New Belgium is a huge company. And I'm shocked that we haven't featured it yet on our podcast, but that's what I was starting to realize. We've had a lot of other New Belgium stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay. Like, was it Ranger? It's a great IPA. Can I say something about this beer? Um, So. No. (laughs) Fine. Okay, I'm going to say it anyways. Um, The only reason I've never bought this beer for this podcast is I thought it was like the Walmart brand until I realized it was New Belgium. (laughs) Have you ever had the Walmart brand? Oh, not Walmart. I'm sorry, not Walmart. Walgreens. There we go. Oh, Big Flats. 1902? No, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's because New Belgium also has the, the beer with the years, the name. 1554? Yeah, but yeah. it's a it's, it's a, a dark Schwartz, beer. It's yeah. a Schwartz beer. Like Motel 6? It's a good beer. It's I like Marcus's that address. <laughs> That's what? Whose address? Is that how you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> the, guy, uh, the guy in Frisco, we used to go to beer tastings at once a week. He lived at 1554, whatever the street was. But mm. I remember pulling up the first time, I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> and it you was. You think when he was shopping for houses, he was like, That's the one. <laughs> I can get the most beer in there. I either need to be in 1554 or 1664. Yeah, because please down, let it be 15. Down the street, the Konigsberg one was really dilapidated <laughs> and smelled. So he's like, nah, nah. And it was blue. Yeah, it was a six bedroom, one Wait, bath. Like, was a, it what? Was it blue or was it blue? It was blue. Okay, like cordon bleu. Like it's blue. Anyway, uh, the so, fat tire uh, is wine amber and a deep cupper. Yes, very uh, <laughs> brilliantly clear. I might be just a hair buzzed. So I'm looking at the bottle. I don't see any reason why it's Belgian, other than that it was inspired by yeah Belgian tradition. Uh, I don't taste anything Belgian either. Yeah, aroma is well, pretty straight. Something kind of fruity, a little fruity. Mm-hmm. Especially once you if you eat the grain and then drink it, it's like super fruity. Yeah, the the grape raisin, like grapes and raisins. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I was thinking like uh, zebra gum. Oh, so it so it's gone. Stripes, <laughs> stripes, yeah. Bubble tape, fruit stripe, fruit stripe gum. There yeah, fruit stripe, fruit stripe, fruit stripe gum for the bubble tape. Would it be great bubble tape then, Fredo? Yeah. <laughs> Huh? I mean, it really is fruity. <laughs> I don't remember it being this fruity. I haven't had this beer in a long time, but I don't remember it being this fruity. I don't either. I like this one. I think I do. Because I feel like the first time I had it, it was... It, there was something about it I couldn't put into words that I didn't like. Because it was different. And I think it was the fruity element. So I think it's always been there. I haven't had this many times. I think also when I was younger, I got this mixed up with Fancy Lawnmower. Oh, St. Arnold? Because they were both vehicular and started with an F and were weird new beers on the scene that were not Bud Light. And it was Fancy Lawnmower and Fat Tire, and they're both vaguely not the beer that I'm used to. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they add a touch of a Belgian special bee malt to this to get that more fruity element. Yeah, you're going to get some dark fruit with that one for sure. Yeah, it's plummy. I bet that's what they do. So it's just like a straightforward amber with a touch of the Belgian malt. Yeah, you, dark fruit. I mean, when I did my Belgian quad, Special B was a big part of that grain bill. And you can tell. Yeah. How uh, <laughs> special was that Special B? At yeah. least a B plus. I was going to say about an 80. Okay. Well, there you go. Good job. 
Fair enough. That's passing. That's passing. I almost went to high five you, but because like of visuals, beer fist pump. I don't know. Yep, that's weird. But you can Toast. add a uh, caramel slash crystal malts to a lot of beer styles, whether it's um, kind of a lighter color, like uh, pale ales and IPAs, or you can go. You can add crystal caramel malts to stouts and porters. Do you happen to bring any special bee? I did not. I have some, um, like, Belgian candy syrup, dark two in the fridge. We could try some. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. Remember when we ate hops? Yeah. Yeah, join us next week when we eat hops again. We can I've eat ha- all the different kinds of hops. <laughs> no one's going to taste anything. Yeah. On to build writing. Uh, <laughs> For the I'm beer, it's pretty high. I'm going to say seven. Although, I actually really like this beer. I go with a seven. As much as Hackershore? Yeah. No, never as much as Hackershore. Nothing will ever amount to Hackershore. <laughs> Period. I don't know. It's too fruity. I'm going to go with like a five. I don't right. get fruity. <laughs> pretty sure there's a drop for that. Shut up. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> Eat some more uh, caramel 40. I just ate a whole bunch. Okay. Yeah. No more for you. You're cut off a malt. Okay. So, really, really crunchy. Yeah. Well, let's get fruity. There no. we go. just got launched into my throat. And <laughs> oh. <there> was <laughs> I mean, I like a good nut. I don't know. There's a lot of them. It didn't all come out in the uh, in the chug. <laughs> well, you know, we the, are... Uh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, the more it... Sits on my tongue like the aftertaste. Does it enter I get, your esophagus I get more area? Malt. Yeah, as it enters my esophagus area, I get more of the malt and less of the fruit. But it's still right at the front. Yeah, we're going to go much darker next. Oh, no. Take some melody. We're going to move from the caramel malts onto the roasted malts. Now, all the malts in this group are produced by loading pale malts into a drum roaster and roasting them, which destroys their enzymatic potential. They are heated to produce colors ranging from light brown to very dark. This group differs from caramel malts and tends to have more dry and astringent flavors. These malts need to be used sparingly, and it is rare to see recipe formulations that include greater than 10% inclusion of any malts in this group. Uh, There's a long list of biscuit, amber, brown, chocolate, black. But the ones we have today are roasted barley... And these range anywhere from 300 to 650 SRM. Swarm. Swarm. So you remember the uh, the very first ones we had were like 1.6 to 2. 1.21. <laughs> and these are 300 <laughs> to 650. So these are very dark, very roasted. Uh, roasted barley. Unlike roasted malt, roasted barley is created before the barley is malted. The raw, dry, dried barley can be roasted to a range of color roughly corresponding to the range between chocolate and black malts. Roasted barley is normally milder than roasted malts, but acrid, dry, and burnt flavors still dominate its profile. Acrid. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a big, a key flavor component of dry Irish stouts, as well as uh, other dark, roasty beers. Did you just swish Old Rasputin? Ew. <laughs> Well, yeah, I had eaten roasted barley. I have it, an announcement. And when smells. you eat the roasted barley, you'll know why I was Oh, I didn't that. smell it. It smells fantastic. Oh, it does. It smells amazing. Now well, we're, okay. we're still talking about the roasted barley that I brought, which is from Thomas Fawcett. 
Thomas Fawcett and Sons. Like a sink? Is a seventh, yes. No, with a W. Spelled differently. Oh. Seventh generation family business that has been manufacturing quality malts for over 200 years on its original site in Castleford, West Yorkshire. Has uh, several locations in England. So this is a roasted barley from Thomas Fawcett. Well, I haven't... I haven't I'm I haven't sorry. Had a chance to eat the malt yet? I Ooh. haven't either. I pulled out the beer and then they jumped ahead. <sighs> I have an announcement while he's eating that. We were listening. Um, so, whoa, my, this is crunchy. I'm I'm buzzed. <laughs> we know. Oh, it's very crunchy, isn't wow. it? Wow, and dark and bitter. It now, tastes, what was your a word over it there? It tastes like if you acrid. acrid? Yeah. <laughs> if you get a scoop of oh. your, if you get a scoop of your spent coffee grounds. Oh. No, it's way worse than that. Almost a little smoky. A tad bit. Yeah. I yeah. Can, I can see that. But yeah, mainly it's, just dark, it's bitter like, roast. It smells like Christmas. Oh, it smells great. That's that's why it was so disappointing when it... Tasted like ash. Yeah. Yeah, mm. but it rhymes with that, right? So, ash. with that... Fred will come on to what un- I was saying. Unflavorful... I ignored it. Careful, that bottle's full. Unpleasant roast, roasted malt that we tasted. We're going to feature an awesome roasted beer, which is from North Coast, called Old Rasputin. This is an imperial stout. This was also an old standby for us a long time ago. Oh, yeah. At Whole Foods. good beer. Yeah. Uh, 9%. If you remember, imperial stout should be thick and roasty and chewy. So we should get a lot of roasted barley flavor. What did you say, like 10%? Nine. Less, no, the, of the grain oh, bill. bill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't take a lot. No, a mouthful will leave you with... I'm just going to stop there. If I can pull up... Oh, I might be able to pull up my stout recipe. Okay, so I I poured it pretty slowly, and I still got a very thick head. <laughs> yeah, it's real, real frothy. Of course, the beer itself is black and opaque. Yeah. The dark malts you add are going to add color, color right away. So if you have black patent malt or roasted barley or chocolate, as soon as you, That's all you know, deep that, steep that in the water, um, you're going to see color change right away. I remember when I first started home brewing, I would have uh, steeping grains in one pot, and then I'd take that out, let it drip and drain, and then I'd have a sparge pot which was just another pot i would dip it in and as soon as you put it in there you just see the color change immediately uh with the darker roast you get big color change right away but obviously as we tasted the the malts it provides quite a bit of flavor as well yeah i mean we talked about you know black ipas and sports beers and things like that where you don't want the roastiness but you want the color mm-hmm. and you toss that into your mash the last like 10 15 minutes you get the color without pulling out the sugars and the roastiness. So it totally makes sense. Yeah, because like right now, my mouth feels like the the morning after a college party, just With all ashy and cigars and yeah. Oh, I miss those days. Mm. <laughs> the days, I mean, yeah, it's fine, but the day after, not so much. Well, yeah, that's true. Because like every time Cracker would have a party, I would smoke a cigar at his place. Yeah, that's exactly what. Yeah, I mean it. It was drunk like, night. So all the the, <laughs> the malts that we've eaten so far have been nice and bready and sweet and you know great. This one's this the beer is sweet and roasty and great and the 
grain is not good. So if I look at my award-winning <laughs> imperial style recipe, out of nearly 14 pounds of grain, a pound of it was chocolate, a pound of it was roasted barley, and a quarter pound of it was black malt. <laughs> so, I mean, two and a, two and a quarter total pounds of anything, even not a base malt, in 14 pounds. Yeah, so you're talking less than a fourth of the total grist was yeah. dark roasted malts. And that beer was black and syrupy and... Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to find my black IPA because I'm pretty sure I used... Uh, oh, I forgot I put my grain super in the dark. beer. Oh. Did it get worse? No, it's just I chewed it. Oh. Yeah, very thick mouthfeel on this one. Um, the flavor of the beer is not nearly as like roasty, bitter, intensely ashy like the actual malt is. But it does a, have some of those characteristics. I have a lot of head. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so for my uh, award-winning... Yeah, there you go. Black We're both IPA, award winners. Uh, India Plagueis Ale. Uh, of course, it was an extract recipe for me, but I had six and a half pounds of DME light, a pound of Crystal 40, uh, 0.4 pounds of Carafa 3, a quarter pound of chocolate, and 0.12 pounds of chocolate wheat. So Thanks. it was yeah. black as night, and I only had yeah. a quarter pound of chocolate malt in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Nope. You get... The majority of your color from your darker malts. And it happens right away. Yeah. It's a good beer, though. Mm. That beer was great as soon as it wasn't fresh. I like this beer. I've never had it before uh, until today. It's... Um, oh, I like it's not it super it thick, you know? And so did it's, the it's kind of a medium <laughs> mouthfeel to me. Uh, but the flavors are really good. But again, I'll say eating the, the, the grain before you drink really kind of masks some of the flavor from the beer. Yeah, because the grain is so over the top. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not really getting the full effect as far as the flavors of the beer. Yeah. So. I mean, the beer is, is um, it's astringent. It's a malt astringency, I think. This is probably a lot like it's, when Scotch guys put, like, three drops of water in their scotch or the single ice cubed. <laughs> yeah. Because then you can Just taste opens it. up the flavor. Yeah. I got all that. Allow all that to two breathe. Row, all the two row opened up the flavor of that really awful malt. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a bitter. malt is probably two row in this as well. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, I'm saying it's bitter, but it, I don't, it's not a hot bitterness. At least it doesn't taste like it. That might no. be the, that might be the grain talking. <laughs> yeah the grain's gonna talk all through the next beer too I think <laughs> I don't know unless we go darker than this we're going light to dark oh no I saved the last one for a reason okay we got one more oh, it's gosh. probably so, 10 50 <laughs> <laughs> that's not a grain <laughs> but you know this one um, the old Rasputin was 
You're the, welcome. The standby for Imperial Stout for a long time. Yeah. yeah. By today's standards, I think it might be a little weak because it's not it's, just chewy right. and just drips down you like <laughs> what you'd expect. And now. it sounds stupid to say this, but it's only 9%. Yeah. Does it buffer? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, poundability rate. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> When you think Imperial Stout nowadays, what do you think other than Old Rasputin? 10%. Like 10 fitting? Um, I'll let you try that evil twin beer that I had uh, a couple weeks ago. Named after poop? No. Named after poop? Yeah. It was yin and yang. Yin and yang. Yeah, that was good. It was like a a pale and a stout. Yeah, it was a... A yin and a yang, and then you mix the two together for a third beer. Yin yang. Okay. Yeah, was, and the was stout good. was just really roasty, rich, syrupy. I mean, it was yeah. it was oh. good. But I think that's what you need. To, all three of those were good beers. I liked yeah. all three of them. We might have an episode on blending. That'd be kind of fun. Starry yeah. night and or starry not starry night. Uh, about stars now? above and hell below. Yeah, welcome yeah. to painting style. Things like that. Two beers that are <laughs> brewed separately, meant to be drank separately, but also meant to be blended. That'd be a fun episode. Yeah, We'd eventually there will be pot beers. Anyways, <laughs> so I'm gonna try it again. Poundability rating. I'm glad I didn't do it last Two. time. <laughs> I'd say four because, like we said before, this is not a super strong imperial stout. Not yeah. by today's standards. But it's still a two for me. Yeah, but still 9%, still roasty, oh. still rich, chocolatey. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm say three. I should have saved some beer to wash the grain away with. I have a little grain pile going over here that I can... Yeah. Eat I, some two-row. That'll clear it up. Yeah. There we go. No, bring on the... Bring, bring on, on the, the beer solder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got one more left uh, to wrap up our malt episode. It's a fun one. Well, for our last malt example, this comes from the special process malt section of the book. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy! Special oh. process malts are made, not surprisingly, using special processes, <laughs> which lead to a range of functional and flavor attributes unique to this malt, or this group. Oh. Malts in this class include acidulated malt, smoked, and peated malts. The market for these malts is very limited, and they tend to be relatively expensive. It's a peated malt. So, uh, this example is double-bagged for a reason, because it is... Beach smoked from Weirman. It was is smoked this, on the beach. Is this the swinging arm man malt they use? Bingo. <laughs> smoked malt. Oh no! It's usually fairly light in color, two point five to five SRM. Smoked malt is made by drying Smart. the malt wholly or partially using the direct combustion gases of a wood fire, which imparts an intense smoky flavor. Traditional versions associated with. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Associated with the city of Bamberg, located in Franconia, I'm not use sure that's correct. beech wood as the fuel source. Other special woods, such as cherry and alder, are used in other areas of the world. Lightly smoked version of this malt can be utilized for up to 100% of the grist. What? Mm. Also, you said beech wood. Isn't that Budweiser? Correct. Yes, but that's remember, a good Budweiser beer. Budweiser is brewed by Germans. Yeah, Budweiser Black is really good. <laughs> it is vital that smoked malt be used at appropriate levels. Excessive use completely overwhelms underlying flavors and results in undrinkable monochromatic beers. But you just said 100%. Exactly. So, <laughs> okay. 
One hundo. So. Conflicting information. The smoke flavor itself is divisive. Many people simply do not like the flavor, but others think it gives unique character to certain styles of beer. So the one we have today is from Vireman, and it is a Beechwood smoked malt. And it's double bagged. Yes. But no one's answered my question. Please tell me that you brought a Schlankerla. Was it it smoked on the beach with wood? No, it's Beechwood. It was mostly smoked with sand, Sawyer. They from the, the beach, sand on fire sand from the beach. I've okay. never tried to taste wood. All right, Vireman oh, is. I can uh, smell it from here. It, that's why it's double bag. I don't know why I put my nose in it. It's founded like it, in 1880s. Uh, yeah, dip your nose in there, smell it. I already did. I felt like an Locations idiot. in Germany. This was a website that just had pictures. They didn't have much information on the history. So I smell a lot of plastic. <laughs> I'm still drinking old rice beer. Uh, not so close translations. Yeah, it had a little American flag picture in the corner, and you click on it, and all it did was change the, the headings. <laughs> what happened when you clicked the British flag? It exited. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I was just saying, it's going to change. <laughs> was it a Brexit? It was going to change flavor from yes, FLA no. VOR to OUR. Oh, no, again? Right. This is two weeks in a row. Yeah, but this is your buck. I didn't bring not my box. Not my, no, not my box. This is your box. No. Yeah, so I did bring the uh, Eich Schlinkerle, your box. Oh, my God. This is two um, weeks in a row. We've had <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't kidding. because there's not many good smoked beers out there. Oh, my God. So I figured, all right. Did you eat it? He just, yeah, he put it in his mouth, and he immediately turned away. <laughs> he put it in, in his regret. mouth? <laughs> all right. Fratto just ate some. Oh, no. Okay, here I, I go. Like you I feel like now. I just went over the campfire and opened my mouth and just went, eh. <laughs> this is like when you're about to lose the campfire, so you blow down next, you get down next to it to blow on the... <laughs> blow down. <laughs> blow down. It may remind me of that low down chart. Somebody wrote B next to it. <laughs> Way to go, Thad Jones. You wrote blow down. Yeah, when you get down next to the fire to burn on the embers and you have to inhale deeply. Actually, the smoke smoky, the smoke baking? flavor dissipates quickly. And it leads way to a lot of moss, actually. Yeah. A lot of moss. I, actually I, like I guess this. that's beech wood, not moss. Smelling it, it's very, well, very in, much uh, smoke. In, in order to know if it's beech wood, we would have to have an expert in from Budweiser. Why are you so stuck on the beech wood? Because Budweiser black is good. We did not check the explicit box. No, really. Life's a beach. So <laughs> I guess we have a lot of experience with beach here, though. That, that's what it's called, though. Budweiser Black. I know. Then why? I don't understand. Because it's not that good. I it's don't, black. I, no, it is good. I like it a is lot. It rustic? I think that's how it always works. That used to be my go-to beer, along with Coors Light and Bud Light Platinum. <laughs> you couldn't even have a yellow belly? <laughs> that explains oh, a lot. Man. A yellow belly. What's that? Beer. A banquet beer. All right. Open yeah. up that schlankerla. Just a nice tall boy of curse. Swinging our man. No light, no dry, no ice, no. Now, here's what I. I We're going to die. I highly doubt that Echt Schlankerla uses the smoked malt like this. They probably smoke their own. I think they absolutely do. No, I bet a, they smoke a beech their own. Beechwood? I think it's beach well, There's got to be a difference between a brewery, like Fredo said. I'm sure they smoke their own. They're not, they don't buy like commercially smoked malt. 
I don't know if it's Beachwood or not. <laughs> Why else would Budweiser, a European-based company, use Beachwood in their aging process, which does nothing at all but give the yeast something to sit on? Well, and that's why I said when I was like the Budweisers were founded by Germans. So, yeah. but I don't, I don't know how closely that's linked to these guys. Because mesquite trees, cherry trees—that's all North American. Um, how Division made that beer with the roasted with pecan wood, and that was very shockingly. I didn't think I would know what a pecan. Pour him that whole thing. I am that that's whole he, thing. That's what he gets for leaving. Yeah, yeah if you cool. leave in the middle of the episode to go pee, then oh, you actually get, wasn't that much left in there. I'll give him some of mine. He got the dregs. Oh, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> but he's got a mug, so it doesn't look like that. It much. doesn't look like that much. Yeah. That's what he gets for drinking of Oktoberfest. Half liter Stein. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. So basically, the difference in this malt and all the oh, other ones ooh. is that it's. Yeah, I didn't even need to throw the malt in the glass. <laughs> Yeah, so whenever they killed it, instead of using like a benign, um, like just propane benign. flame, benign, meaning. This is more like a before. Oh, uh, get me out of here. Um, it, like it, a protein, not protein, so a propane so flame <laughs> or something that doesn't cause aromas and flavors to be imparted in it, but they use. What? So they're probably heating the room with a, like a wood burning stove or something that is. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. You probably have a big fire beneath a, a uh, trough. With your um, wood of choice, which I guess is beech. Mesquite. For this one. I'm erect now. <laughs> this is true. You just missed the conversation where we said that the Europeans probably aren't using mesquite. Oh, man. That's good on chicken. <laughs> This uh, beer, the Yerbach, is very clear. It's a reddish brown. <clears throat> frothy head. Aroma is... Very smoky. Quite smoky. Oh, roasty. my God. It's, it's like bacon. Bacon. Yeah. It's like a bacon smoke. Are you putting two row, or is that the smoked malt? This is the smoked malt. Aroma <laughs> is... <laughs> I love my laugh. I wonder what the Actually, interval is. You know, like I said before, <sighs> like I said before, the the smokiness and the malt dissipates pretty quickly when you eat it. It does, and it left. Well, okay, so and that I, I don't, I didn't think the wood be a, <laughs> I didn't think the wood would be a uh, relevant conversation, but I tasted all moss after it was done, and I guess I'm just yeah. trained to think that maybe it's beech wood. I don't. Yeah, maybe it's wood. Said beach is not really a thing around here. We are fairly landlocked. Oh. Beach with two E's. Not E A. Oh. E I E I no. <laughs> well, I'm gonna oh, shut up now. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Maybe if this were yeah, actually, with Aspen. Surprisingly enough, the, the grain is not nearly as smoky as the beer is. Did you did you say percentages in your I don't remember. You said up to a hundred. Of what? Well, I mean, yeah, it said up to 100, but I mean, did it say anything about like a general percentage of how much you would use to get a slightly smoked character? Um, everything that I've dealt with, like, for example, um, whenever we did our first Maverick Mash and we made Scottish beers. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I made a beer 
and I wanted to give it a little bit of a smoking character because at the time I thought, you know, the the peatedness in the water needs to come through in the beer. So I added two ounces of smoked malt in that, and it came through immediately. Everybody yeah, yours knew was very obvious from yeah. the first time you smelled it. Like, okay, somebody tried to add some smoke malt to this. Yeah. Who did that? Who? And then went from there. So that was two ounces in a five gallon batch. So that's not much, and it it's obviously like came through six right away. to eight pounds overall of grain. And then that was the one where you tried to caramelize your own pot, right? Well, I did. Well, not pot, like... <laughs> so, uh, you tried to caramelize in your own pot yeah. on your stovetop. I did. Please refer to our sister I podcast, I Pot Styles. Yeah. I, I, you know, I did my I like uh, caramelization, and it took I didn't... forever. Yeah, like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more like two, but, you know, I did the kettle caramelization, and I did not add any peat malt or smoked malt. Yeah. So, um, but I did Golden yeah. Promise as a base, and I think that's what made the biggest difference. That and the kettle caramelization, I think, totally is what made that beer happen. And Flug and I both used the same yeast, and I, I think it was White Lab Scottish. But we each had a little... I think I used that one, too. Yeah. And we each had a little bit of smoke. Granted, we had the biggest two beers because we were the ones that went for Wee Heavy instead of like a, a 40 shilling or something or whatever, but... <laughs> Does that exist? I don't know. I'm just making up numbers. Like 60 was or it, 70 shilling. Was it a wee heavy? Yes. That's a, yeah. It's exactly. Okay. Thanks for that, Sawyer. Of course. But yeah, what am I got, here for? Oh, I got yeah. smoke out of my beer and I didn't use any of it. But you're right. The difference between the smoke in mine and the smoke in yours was you might have been like, oh, I think Fredo had a little bit of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. <laughs> so while the book did say you can use 100% of smoke malt in your grist, uh, it's not recommended. You should probably start off with a very, a very like safe level, maybe half an ounce, one ounce. Yeah, maybe 10% of the, of the malt beer. Probably wow. less than that. What do you yeah. think the old swinging arm used? I don't know. They better I'm from a different country. Because it's also yeah. imported, and it's imported. <laughs> <laughs> French Canadians. <laughs> you know, I, I bet it's it's probably at least fifty percent. It's got it's gotta be because it's such a rich, bacony, meaty, beefy. You know smell that, and aroma and flavor and all of that. But it's got the guy at Blue Bonnet that walks yeah. around with the cart. Yes, his cart smells like this. Beer. You could smell the smoke from across the room. Yeah, almost. So his is a one hundred percent. You think? Yeah, there's some guy from like North Texas Brewers with a cream ale that tastes like smoke because that guy's cart was within a hundred feet of him. <laughs> all right. Well. Actually, I I'd be interested to see this one before the stout to see if the stout. Like the uh, the the dark grain can cover up the smoke with the, the acrid burntness. Well, tune in the next smoke week. comes before fire. <laughs> <laughs> when there's fire, that's Word. never good. <laughs> and tune in next week when we go Boop. to reverse order. <laughs> right. And then every beer tastes like smoke. By Man, this Carlsberg is really like beef jerky. <laughs> We're going to have another swinging like, arm next week. Who would have thought like, Pilsner malt was so roasted? Have <sighs> you ever right, taken skunk meat and like make beef jerky out of it? No, but I'm about yeah. to. That would have been the curls. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to Galveston not too long from now, and I think there's a jerky joint on 
Oh, it's on 75 or 35. I think we take 75 to get to Galveston. We'll see if they have skunk jerky. Pflugerville, that's by Austin. <laughs> and tidbit news. All right. You're welcome. Nailed. So what's your poundability? <laughs> All right. See, from the moment you put it to your face, you smell yeah. it already. And that's going to be the problem because you're like, usually I'm like, every beer's a 10 because... yeah. Cause it's yeah, you're just going to throw it down. Nothing matters until after the finish, but as soon as you start to smell this one, you're like, oh, okay. I'm having a hard time getting it up to my face. I'm going to say three. All right. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Is that with the malt? Mm-hmm. Please don't spew. Nope. Oh, oh, oh. Mm. It's down. How's it sitting with that hummus? <laughs> Ew, gross. Apparently, oh. he ate like half a tub of hummus this afternoon. <laughs> gross. I just had a hummus craving. <laughs> you know what does sound good? Bean dip. Cold bean dip. Jesus, random. With, with, with the Frito-Lay scoops. The shame is I'm having breakfast for dinner here in a All little right. bit. My scrambled eggs so, are just going to taste like smoke. There we Damn. go. There's our part one of the Basics of Beer yeah. series. Uh, where we focused on malt today. And I think I'm, uh, I'm doing it next week. Yeah, what would you like so, to do? I think we're going to hop right along our uh, series. Oh. 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 Here we go. Hops are next. Okay, bye!